Well, at this time, it is my privilege to introduce our guest preacher this morning, Aaron Halbert. Aaron is our, one of our very own, and because this is a World Mission Sunday, we felt it appropriate to have Aaron here. Aaron and Rachel uh, are here, and they are from Honduras. Aaron grew up at Christ Covenant. He's what I call a Christ Covenant kid, but he is a grown man now. And he's going to bring the word to us, his first time preaching at Christ's Covenant. Aaron and Rachel are working with MTW in Honduras. And since 2017, they have planted a church. And they are also in, in the, the works of planting more churches. Aaron was telling me this morning that within a, within a quarter of a mile, they have 26,000 college students. So they're hoping to start a campus ministry at that local university. And they're also doing a publishing house. And I thought, my goodness, what else are you doing? But uh, this guy has a lot of energy, a lot of passion for the Lord. And let's give Aaron Halbert a warm welcome back to Christ's Covenant. <laughs> it is uh, a joy and a pleasure to be able to be back here preaching at Christ's Covenant. Um, it's been a lot of years here, uh, well, mainly in the gym at uh, Farragut Middle School. Um, but in those early years, always wanting to preach at Christ's Covenant, and so we'll find out after this Sunday if I ever come back, right? So um, I would invite you to turn with me to Luke, if you have your Bibles, or you can look at it on the screen. Um, living far away, you always wonder if you're raising your kids right to be Vol fans, and when we were um, coming into Tennessee from North Carolina, we're visiting 26 churches in about 16 weeks, so we've been on the road a lot, and as soon as we pulled across the border, I mentioned to the kids, oh, guys, isn't it just prettier here? And it smells better and all these things. To which my kids met me with a chorus of Rocky Top. So we have uh, done our jobs in that area. But that being said, let us turn our attention to um, the conversion of a soul, as J.C. Ryle once said, this verse describes the conversion of a soul, something that we should marvel at because it is death to life. It is the most powerful thing that happens in the world. Pay attention to the text. This is the word of God. And he entered Jericho and passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come down, or hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, that being the Pharisees, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's seek the Lord for help. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are completely and utterly dependent upon the work of the Spirit. We haven't come here to hear the words of man, but the words of life, the truth of the gospel, the beauty of who our Savior is. And so we ask that you would be seen, that the things of my mouth would bring you glory, 
but the things that aren't of you would fall on deaf ears. Lord, that we would see wonderful things in your law, that we would come to new convictions, that we would be encouraged to live for your glory. And Lord, we pray that even today, if it be your will, that today would be a day of salvation, that those who don't know you would be called home. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at this text, we read uh, a pretty famous text, one that we, most of us know pretty well from the childhood song Zacchaeus was, a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And we remember that this little guy wanted to see Jesus, and he went up in a sycamore tree, right? It's, we've got the rhyme in our head. But the thing that I want us to see is where this text is placed, in chapter 19, right before Jesus goes to the cross, right before Jesus begins the triumphal entry, the last person that Jesus comes into contact with is Zacchaeus, this very unlikely person to be saved. But not only is it interesting that it's put here in chapter 19, if you were to look back at chapter 18, in verse 18 through 30, you get the story of the rich young ruler. And in the story of the rich young ruler, some of you might remember that in that story, there's a young man who has interest in knowing Jesus, and so he goes to Jesus, and he wants to know how he can be saved. And when he comes up, he asks Jesus, how can I be saved? And Jesus gives him the law. Jesus tells him all that he needs to do. And the man responds, all of that I've done. And then Jesus says, okay, then sell half of your goods, or sell all your goods, and follow me. And it says in the text, the man went away sad because he was very rich. You remember the disciples responded. The the disciples then asked the question, well, then who can be saved? If you were to look at the the, the version in Matthew, then who can be saved? If this one can't be saved, who can be saved? And that's when Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle. And yet the last person that Jesus saves before he goes to the cross is a very unexpected rich man. Look at the text, verse two. It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. You see that Christ, in his last encounter, he has come to show who he has come to save. Jesus has come to save all kinds of people. The most unexpected of people. Right, So if you get in the last text this idea of then who can be saved and then you get to this text and you see that Jesus is saving the very kind of person that they didn't think could be saved, you notice that this, as the text tells us, is what Jesus has come to do and hasn't stopped doing. Jesus is after the conversion of a soul. There's something we need to understand as we look at the text. We need to understand the improbability of Zacchaeus. The improbability of Zacchaeus. Who was this man? So that's point one. The improbability of Zacchaeus. Who is Zacchaeus? Well, he's the worst of the worst. When you think chief tax collector or just tax collector in general, normally a tax collector is listed with sinners, with prostitutes, with unsavory types in this day and age, right? So this man is being marked out right from the beginning as somebody that you should not be spending time with. He's not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. He's not just your regular lower level tax collector, like those uh, pyramid schemes on uh, Facebook, right? He's not down here. He's at the top. He's diamond, right? 
And he's moved up, and he's at the top of this thing, and he's doing well. Because not only is he a chief tax collector, he's really rich. He's done well for himself in this process. Well, how did he make his money? How does this man make his money? Well, normally what they would do is they work for the Roman Empire, and they would go and and collect the taxes for the Roman Empire. But the way they made money is they would add taxes on top to their own people. So he's taking advantage of his own. He's using his people to get wealthy off their backs. He is one who we would think when somebody says the name Zacchaeus, everybody went, oh, Zacchaeus. How could Jesus be spending time with Zacchaeus? How could this be the one? He is dishonest and he's greedy. This is the last person anyone would expect that Jesus would go and save right before he goes to the cross. You know, if we were writing the scriptures, this is not the person we would put here. We would put somebody who has it all together, who seems right, that it would, it would make sense that he would save that person. But this, this helps us understand this is what Jesus came to do, to turn people's lives upside down. And if we think, wow, Aaron, where are you getting that idea that they didn't like that he was with Zacchaeus? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 tells us, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They were noting out that Jesus was connecting himself to people that nobody would want to be connected to. If we were to fast forward that into our day, this would be like the Lord going in to a man who owns an adult bookstore or to an abortion clinic and going to save the abortion doctor or into a a brothel and saving prostitutes. That's the type thing that is happening in this text. And, and it causes these people, which at some level, it sometimes does to us as well. Sometimes we think, well, well the Lord's going to save that one. The Lord couldn't save that person. Maybe you have people in your lives that you think of like, I don't think. I can remember being at a restaurant in Honduras. And, and before I cast stones at other people, my own heart we were eating dinner at a new restaurant, and it's in a mall, and there's a bunch of street children that were out there and out on the street, and then a few of them snuck into the restaurant and then started begging at all the tables. And you would think, a preacher of the gospel, my response would be, sit down with us, eat with us, tell us about who you are. And my response was, don't they know they're trying to ha- we're trying to have a good meal? Why are they in here? Right? We have this tendency to think this is something that other people do when it's our own hearts many a times. That we see the needy, that we see the homeless, that we see people that we would not expect to be see, saved. Or we see the other political side and think, how could they be a Christian? How could they know Jesus? And yet this is what this text is showing us, that Jesus turns all of this upside down. That Jesus comes in and he takes hold of hearts. And so we must watch our own hearts as we we look at this, that we don't find ourselves too much, too much like the Pharisees, grumbling at who Jesus is saving. We should rejoice when when Christ calls people home. But before we keep going, we, we have to kind of laugh at the picture. You take Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a wealthy man. He's known in town. If, I, if maybe at some churches you've visited, there, there are preachers that wear robes. You can imagine Zacchaeus in a robe running down the street because he wants to get ahead of Jesus, right? You, you read in verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. So he hikes up his, his dress 
And he's remembered as this short man for all of history. He'll be, reminded, be remembered as Zacchaeus the small one. And he runs to the tree. And he climbs up in the tree. And this had to be funny. Most of the people who know him are like, Zacchaeus, what are you doing? And Zacchaeus makes a beeline to that tree. And he's interested in Jesus. He's interested. He's, he's wanting to see this Jesus. He's, he doesn't know what he wants to see. He doesn't know what he's trying to, to understand. He's just going to see this Jesus. And most of the time, we have to think that there are probably people around us who have questions about why we come to worship every Sunday and sit here and listen to a sermon and stand up and sing. As a, a seminary professor once told us, his, son, his, his nephew, who wasn't a believer, always found it so weird when he would go to churches and they would sing because he, he, he was like, what are they singing to? Because they're just standing there singing. Right? The world looks and goes, what are they doing? Why are they gathering together to worship? And they're curious because your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your friends at school, your classmates, they have the same questions that you have. They watch the same news that you watch. They look at the same world and, 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 and have questions. They're watching the same sports. They're confronting the same bad news as, as Seth mentioned. And yet, we as believers hold the greatest news that has ever been told. We have the answer. It, I'm not saying we have all the answers, but we have the greatest answer. We have the answer to what they're looking for. They're looking at the world going, how is it so messed up? Original sin, that's how it's so messed up. Ha, how come it's like this? Because people are sinners and they need to be saved. And so there are people all around us, I would say, that are curious about who this Savior is. There are people who are wondering. And the scriptures tell us that the fields are white for the harvest. There are people that are wanting to know more about this Savior. He's curious about this Savior. He's looking to, to know who he is, maybe. He just wants to see him. But you also have to notice that he doesn't really do anything. He goes and gets in a tree, but who is the one that initiates all of it? Jesus. That's the second point. The initiative of Christ or the initiative of Jesus. Zacchaeus is up in the tree hiding. And what is going on? Zacchaeus isn't sitting there, hey, Jesus, save me. Hey, Jesus, Take me to your house. I, I, take me to, well, I want to take you to my house, right? That's not what's going on. What is going on? He is sitting there just happy to watch Jesus pass by, right? I just want to see Jesus go by. And yet, Jesus is going to him. He's not crying out. He's, he's not wanting to be saved. He is just happy seeing Jesus, and he's hiding. But you notice that Jesus is in the business of saving people. And so Zacchaeus is making a beeline to the tree just to see Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? He is making a beeline to Zacchaeus. Jesus has come to Jericho to call Zacchaeus to salvation. That's why he showed up. This is a divine appointment. Jesus makes his way directly to the tree. Look at verse 5. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Hurry and come down, for I must, must stay at your house today. 
This is a, a divine word. He tells Zacchaeus not, hey, maybe I could come to your house. Would it be all right? No, I must come to your house today, Zacchaeus. You see, the idea is that he doesn't just do it generally either. Notice he says, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. This is a particular initiative of Jesus. It's not, hey, guy in the tree that I don't know who you are, I'm going to save you. No. He says, Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus, I am coming to your house. I am here to save you. This is an appointment that was set down when? Not while Jesus was walking into Jericho. This was an appointment that was set down before the foundations of the world. That Jesus had called him by name and was there to save him. That's what he went for. Jesus is after saving lost people. This is a divine appointment and it's very, very precise. But it's also interesting. It's also interesting that there's not some dramatic thing that happens. We don't read about how Zacchaeus was saved. Right? It just, we get the text that he goes, he receives him joyfully. The others grumble. And then Zacchaeus responds. And then salvation has come to this house. It's really undramatic. And we, we, we should look at that and say, what an amazing testimony that, that there's no special thing. If you think about the Gerasene demoniac, when, when you think of Jesus casting the, 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 the demons into the pigs, and the pigs go running down the hill and fall into a lake, and people are scared to death of who Jesus is, that's a pretty dramatic salvation story. Right? If you heard that, somebody had pigs, uh, a whole host of pigs run into the sea because they had demons in them, I think we would all notice that. But here Jesus has just saved this man by going to his house, and it's no less dramatic because it is a dead man that has come to life. It is Christ saving one that was lost and now is saved. It is one that was in chains and is now free, as we say. It's the beauty of what Christ is doing. It's, it's him doing it. It's not Zacchaeus saying, oh, I think it's a good idea to be a Christian. I'm going to throw a little Christianity on my life. No, it's Jesus coming and taking hold of him and changing him. That's the beauty of the gospel, that Christ is doing that and isn't stopping in that process. But I think there's something that we can learn from Jesus in this text. That Jesus went directly. He, he knew that he was going to meet this man. We can't save people. We can't. But Jesus had a love for people. He had, a partip, he had particular people in mind. His eyes were open. You have to think Jesus was walking through. All right, where's Zacchaeus? There he is. Right there in that tree. I'm going to talk to Zacchaeus. Maybe there are people that are in your life that you should be praying for, that you should particularly be looking towards preaching and speaking the gospel to them on a daily basis or looking for the opportunity. And we have this tendency to think that the time must be right, right? Well, Aaron, I'm just getting to know these people and I don't know, it might be uncomfortable. Or Jesus doesn't wait on Zacchaeus to have his stuff together. You notice he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. <laughs> he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to give you an hour and let you go home and get the house ready as we had that room in our house or closet. I'm sorry, mom, if I'm showing things that we hid everything in when guests came over, right, to get the house ready 
so that everybody thought we had it together. No, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. Are there people that we are engaging in that idea of how we preach to them and tell them of the good news? Because we want people to come to know Jesus. We want them to be saved. We want them to know that they have a friend in Christ Jesus. The one who has come to the oppressed, but to the spiritually oppressed. Zacchaeus had all you could think of financially. Zacchaeus had no need physically. But Zacchaeus had a spiritual need. I mean, I grew up in West Knoxville. There are a lot of people that don't have financial need in West Knoxville. But there's a lot of people that have spiritual need in West Knoxville. There are a lot of people who need to know this Christ. And they need to be confronted with who he is. This one who has offered himself freely. So my challenge to us is who are we reaching out to? Who are we inviting over to our homes? The best thing you got going for you is you you have a house or an apartment where you can invite people over to eat dinner with you. Who cares if it's awkward? Who cares if it's weird? Who cares if you haven't invited that neighbor over for 10 years and now it's like, oh, I'm gonna invite him over. They're probably lonely and have the same questions you do. But you have an answer in the cross. You have the beauty of the gospel. We long to see the churches full. We long to see people come to know Jesus. How are they going to come to know Jesus if we don't have people speaking about Jesus? It's not just Seth and I who have that responsibility. It's a believer's responsibility to speak of the goodness of Christ. Why? Because this is our story. We were dead and we were saved by Christ. So my my encouragement to you is do you, learning from our Savior at some level, have that mentality to look towards others, to think of the need of others and their spiritual need? Are you praying for them? Are you inviting them over? Are you spending time with them? Are you outwardly focused? And not just with the people you would normally spend time with, but people who are outside your circles. Why? Not because we want to say, oh, look, our church is full. Because if the heavens rejoice for the salvation of one, we want to rejoice for the salvation of one. That's what we want. Yet, the text isn't done. So we see, we see this particular initiative of Jesus, the initiative of Christ, which was the second point. And the third point, and very briefly, is internal change. Internal change. You notice in the text Verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the, the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. We could go into what that means, but Zacchaeus had been somebody who had taken advantage, advantage of people and made a ton of money by defrauding people. So when he says, I'll give it back fourfold, he's talking about a ton of money that he is ready to give back to the people that he has done wrong to. But the thing that I wanna, want you to notice is, who tells Zacchaeus to do this? Nowhere in the text does Jesus say, Zacchaeus, now that you have the gospel, do this. No, Zacchaeus, coming into contact with the living God, his response is to do good works in response to the gospel. You remember, if you go back to the rich young ruler, he walks up and Jesus says, here's the law. 
And he goes, oh, I'm good on those. I've done that. I've got my act together. And then Jesus says, sell it all. And he goes, I can't do that. Zacchaeus comes and comes into contact with Jesus. And what happens? He comes into contact with Jesus. And he doesn't know what he's getting into. But as he comes into contact with the glory of Christ, his response is, I'm giving it all away. I'm selling it all for this one. Because this is my Savior. You see the difference? This is what happens. It is that faith without works is dead. And and James tells us that. And what Luther says is that true saving faith is a busy little thing. It will cause works to happen in our lives. We will respond to the gospel and live in certain ways. True conversion is going to cause spirit-wrought works. So my question is, is that happening in us? I gave you a list earlier of people that we would not expect to be saved. People who run abortion clinics or people who uh, work in adult, the adult industry or all kinds of different things. People on TikTok, people on Instagram, all these things. And you would think the Lord couldn't save that person. Well, if we think that the goal is just to get that person to stop doing that, well, that would be great. But what we truly want is the reason that that person stops doing that is that they know Jesus, that they know Christ, that they've been converted. If we want to see lasting change in the the United States of, of America, in Honduras, it's by people being saved. It's not by some program to get them to be good people. They won't be good people. They need to know Jesus. They need to know the good news that Christ has set us free from our sin to live for the glory of his name. Oftentimes I use the illustration that in Honduras, uh, Honduras, they say that we are something like 80% Christian in Honduras. Yet Honduras is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And for the last 10 years, has been this, the most dangerous country outside of a war zone in the world. Obviously, the gospel is not having its effect. Obviously, people are not coming to know the Savior because what it does when we come to know Jesus is it changes us to live in certain ways for the glory of Christ. You see, this should be what's going on in our lives. We should be hating sin and running to Christ. We should be loving our neighbors. We should long that people would come into contact with this Jesus and be transformed by the saving work of Jesus Christ. And you see, that's what Jesus came to do. The last thing we get told before the triumphal entry is what? Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus is after. And he hasn't stopped doing that. I'm going to close with two really fast illustrations. First one is, um, I sent a video to the church, and I don't know who saw it or not, but it was about a young lady who started watching us online in September. Um, and I was, she came, and she wanted to join the church, and I asked her, you know, um, how'd, you, how'd you start or get connected to the church? I said, well, I started watching you online in September. And I said, okay, well, How'd you come to know Jesus? And she said, no, no, no. I came to know Jesus watching you online in September. And there was, I told the last group that, that, that there was a moment during COVID that I was standing in, at my kitchen table with books p- piled high, staring at a camera, my phone, thinking nothing is happening. 
I'm sweating in my den and people are watching me online. I don't even know what's happening. And this woman said, no, no, no. It was September and I was watching online and the Lord saved me. And she said, it wasn't even your preaching, which is always confidence building for a preacher. She said, it was actually during your pastoral prayer, you started praying for those who are far off. And the Lord convinced me that I was one of the far off. When we don't think anything's going on, the Lord is being faithful. I stood in seminary a few years back. There's a Korean brother that was standing there with me. We were standing at the front of the library. And I asked him, how do you end up in Jackson, Mississippi from Seoul, South Korea? And he said, oh, well, my dad's a pastor of a small church in Korea. 3,000 people of a small church in South Korea. And he said, I said, okay, well, how'd your dad become a Christian? He said, well, my dad... His dad was a Christian. I said, wow. Well, how'd your dad's dad, your granddad, become a Christian? He said, well, my great-granddad was a Christian. I went, wow, four generations. And I said, well, how did he become a Christian? He said, he became a Christian because missionaries showed up in 1892 and started preaching the gospel in his village. And the Lord is still being faithful today. That's the gospel. That's the truth of God's saving people. He's come to seek and save the lost. That's what he's after and he hasn't stopped. And we should glory at that. We should long that, the, that our churches would be full because Christ is still saving people. Because that is the purpose of what he came to do, to build his church. And that's what we long to see happen in Knoxville, in Honduras, throughout Tennessee, in Malaysia, in Malawi, in India. Worldwide, we want Christ to be magnified and to call sinners home. And that should be our prayer.